Thank you all for coming into my living room here in Lakeville. I'm here with my two roommates. Their names are mother and father, so I'm very glad to have them with me today. And I also want to say, like Steph said, I'm a huge fan of Team World Vision and the work they do. Um, it's a wonderful organization, and I'm super excited to join a lot of you on the Zoom call after the service today. So if you haven't texted that to that number yet, please do so now so I can see you and so we can talk about Team World Vision. It's an amazing thing. But Recently, I had a friend that was mentioning that they don't really remember anything about January or February of this last year because March has been so psychotic and so crazy. It's just been nuts, right? Like, I would love if you could share some happy memories of January and February, happy memories only, on the Facebook feed. Um, I'd love to try to remember something that was going on back then, but it's been a little while and I already can't remember it. But everything already seems like just kind of a haze, right? Everything before these last few weeks just seems like a fog that doesn't exist in time anymore. And everything after has just been so crazy and so sudden with the way that things are happening so quickly. Well, I want to start sharing with a story that happened many, 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 many years ago, back when the pandemic wasn't a thing. So it was 11 years ago, so basically the year 11 BP, or 11 years before pandemic. We used to call that 2009. And I was in my senior year of college. During my four years of college, I was very involved with the activity called speech. I competed in a variety of categories, performing speeches of prose, poetry, drama, informative speaking, and more. And I loved, 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 loved this activity. It was so important in my life. I learned so much about how to conduct myself with professionalism. I honed my communication skills. I was influenced by a wide range of mentors. I made some amazing friendships. I traveled the country to travel to different tournaments. And perhaps most importantly, I developed a really great necktie collection. It was amazing. But as my senior year was winding down in the year 11 BP, or 2009, I was really starting to struggle, to put it mildly. There were two major reasons. In April of that year, we had our national tournament in Ohio. Ohio wasn't the hard part. For four years, I had worked desperately to make it to a quarterfinals round at that national tournament, which was an incredibly difficult achievement. And my senior year, when I didn't make it to quarterfinals in my last chance, I was devastated. That was crushing blow number one. Around the same time, I learned that the opportunity to go to grad school as an assistant speech coach at another university wasn't going to happen. That was crushing blow number two. And that was an absolute wreck. It was really bad. I felt like four years of work to get to quarterfinals had been for nothing. And as such, I felt worthless because I hadn't achieved my goal. I had been striving for this to happen. And I'd been striving for this coaching position to continue my love for the activity. And when that didn't happen, I felt like I had no future. It was a really difficult per period for me. I had some sort of nervous breakdown that lasted for a couple of weeks in which I did things like lay under a piano and cry, listen to one Kelly Clarkson song on repeat while watching the rain and crying, and finally dropping my plate on the cafeteria floor and laughing maniacally. It was a really good time back in 11 BP. Ah, so special. Well, it took a few months, but I eventually did get my life back together. The opportunity to go to grad school did end up happening just in a different way, not as a speech coach. And as the months went on, I learned something really important about myself. For four years, I had put my identity in speech, in this activity, 
and it wasn't enough. And I realized that even if I had accomplished everything that I was trying to accomplish, it still wouldn't have been enough. And at the time, it was all very fuzzy and hazy, but in the years since then, I've really helped to understand it. And something that has helped me really understand it is John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. So if you have a Bible or a phone app, um, I welcome you to bring those up right now. Um, we're gonna, again, that's John 15, verses 1 through 8. When we get to this passage, it's Jesus' last supper with his 12 disciples, and he's trying to tell him some of the most important things that he can tell them before it happens that he's turned over the religious authorities, arrested, and crucified. So let's read there in John 15, verses 1 through 8. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown in the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my people and my disciples. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we just thank you for this opportunity, and we thank you for the technology that is making this possible. And I thank you for all the hands and hearts that uh, worked so tirelessly this week to make this possible. And Lord, today as we are kind of scattered around the country and around the Twin Cities, I pray that we can recognize that we are still connected to you and that we are still connected to the body of Christ that is around the world this morning, Lord. So today I pray that you can teach us all and that these words can be yours and not my own. And we pray these things in your holy name. Amen. So, Jesus is talking a lot about himself right here, obviously. He's saying a lot, and all these agricultural metaphors don't make a lot of sense. They don't really resonate with us today, because most of us aren't growing vines or making our own wine. Although if this pandemic lasts much longer, we may have to start doing that. So he's talking about himself, in terms of a vine. And clearly this meant a lot to the audience that he was talking to at the time. Vineyards were one of the most crucial crops at the time, and so this would have been a very vivid and understandable metaphor to audiences at that time. So to fully understand what Jesus was saying about himself, we need to understand a few things about ancient vines and vineyards. Not to be confused with vineyard vines, that's a clothing company, so it's not that. So the first thing that we should understand heading into this passage is that there are a ton of references to vineyards where vines grow in the Old Testament. Now, I'm not going to go through them all, but basically, God frequently compared to his, pe his people, Israel, to vineyards. A strong, healthy vineyard like we see here in this picture was a symbol of economic vitality and security in the region because grapes and wine were a major agricultural export 
of ancient Israel. A healthy, productive vineyard like this was kind of how we consider today a strong GDP. So if the vineyard was good, then the country and its people were in good shape and good relationship with God. The vineyard is an important symbol. Another aspect of vines to understand is that vines are a very, very needy crop. Vines are basically the toddlers of the plant world. It takes a lot of work to grow a healthy vineyard. So dead branches, I don't know if you can see in the photo here, but dead branches have to be cut off completely to make room for new, lively growth. Existing branches, like these ones here, have to be pruned. Well, what's pruning? Pruning is simply snipping off parts of the branches that aren't producing enough fruit, enough grapes, so that the nourishment can go to the branches where it is producing a lot of fruit. Vines also have to be kept up off the ground, as we see here, and strung along lines so that the vines have space to grow. Vines are a lot of work. So with these things in mind, let's read through the passage again and look more closely at it. So verse 1 says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. Let's stop there. We're already only in the first verse, and we're already stopping. So already, this is very different than any reference that we have to vines or vineyards in the Old Testament. Previously, it looked at the people of Israel on the whole as the vineyard. But now, Jesus is saying that he is the vine. He is one with the people. This is a much, much more intimate picture. God is in the vineyard, not separate from it. Verse 2, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be more fruitful. So again, pruning happens so that strength and vitality can be poured into the most productive vines on the branch. Verse 3, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So here we see that being attached to the vine is essential. Without being attached, the branch withers and dies. So now going on in verse 4, Jesus seems to be really emphasizing this point as he starts repeating himself. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown in the fire, and burned. So pause here. We have to consider here that this is a much, much different society than us. They likely didn't waste much and didn't throw something in the fire unless it really had no use whatsoever. Dead vines are just that. They have no use at all. They're not strong enough to be used to build anything. They just have to be thrown in the fire and destroyed. Furthermore, fire is often a symbol of eternal finality in the Bible. So here, it's saying that if anything is not connected to the vine, to Jesus, it has no eternal value, no eternal purpose, no eternal fruit. So verses 7 and 8. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit 
showing yourselves to be my disciples. So, what does this mean for us today? I think there are a lot of things that you can derive from this, but first, I'm going to talk about two different things that Jesus is saying about what his identity is. So first, Jesus is saying that he is your nourishment, your source of life. Jesus makes other similar claims throughout John about being the water of life, the bread of life, the good shepherd, like we talked about last week. We've talked about several of these things over the past several weeks. In a lot of ways, Jesus is saying something that he said before, but he's saying it in a slightly different way so that his disciples both then and now, us, can get the picture. Jesus is our source of life. Jesus is our nourishment. Water does not get to the branch except through the vine. The vital nutrients of good soil only get to the branches through the vine. Jesus is that source of life, the only source. So this is not a claim to be taken lightly. This is a very strong and exclusive claim. It is a bold claim then, and it's a bold claim now, particularly in a society that says you can follow whatever path you want as long as you don't hurt anybody else or bother anybody else. Jesus is boldly saying that I am your only option for a fruitful life. There is no other. If you're not a part of me, you are cut off and thrown in the fire. Now, this is not a, a stop, drop, and roll kind of fire. This is a you're done kind of fire. So Jesus is saying that I am your only option. Now, I can't prove that to be true. That's a matter of faith as to whether or not you believe that. But if you profess Christ, as I do, then you and I have to understand that Jesus is our only option, our only source of life, our only vitality. Nothing else will be sufficient. When we rely on Christ as our only source of life, as our only nourishment, that is a beautiful and lively thing. So this nourishment is a very beautiful, lively, sustaining thing, and we need that nourishment. It takes so many forms, and I would love it if you would leave a comment in the Facebook feed about some of the ways that Jesus nourishes and sustains you. At the same time, hard decisions do have to be made to make us fruitful and make, um, more productive. That's the second thing that we see about Jesus. He is a gardener that prunes. Verse 2, every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. That's kind of scary, isn't it? We might be doing a good job producing fruit and even doing what is asked of us, and yet God may prune us. God may cut out parts of our lives to divert more attention and more energy into another more fruitful aspect of our lives. That hurts. Pruning does hurt sometimes. Something is forcibly removed without your permission, often without our even being remotely involved in the decision. It often makes no sense to us because it is a part of our lives that does bear some fruit. But God sees the wider picture. God understands what parts of our lives have the most potential to bear fruit. And as such, out of love and a desire to see us thrive to our fullest potential, he cuts out part of our lives that are taking away energy from where it's most needed. That's tough. My grandpa used to have a phrase for that. Ufta. That hurts. Ufta. It's hard. It hurts. But it's necessary. 
Pruning also shows us so much of God's character and God's design for our lives. It shows us that God is willing to make hard choices about what's best for our lives, what's right for us. That's God's fatherly love for us, doing what is needed for the good of his children. This is also the process by how God raises up more leaders, by pruning us so that we can be more fruitful and live by example. And finally, it shows us that God is selective. God has specific fruit in mind that he wants us to bear. God doesn't intend for us to do it all, to be all the fruitfulness. God is allowing us to focus and be a very specific kind of fruitful, and that fruitfulness matters both now and in all eternity. We just don't always understand what that is, and that can be frustrating, but God is good. So this passage then is showing us that Jesus is the source of life, our nourishment, and that Jesus is pruning us for the greater good. That's who Jesus is. Now, I'm reminded of a phrase that I often heard and often said as a kid, and it's actually a really, really annoying phrase. So when insulted, a common response from a sassy kid like myself might be, I know you are, but what am I? It's annoying, right? I was that kid, super cringeworthy, but if you change the tone of it, it actually becomes a really great transition between my points. I know you are, but what am I? Jesus, if I know that you are these things, you are my nourishment and my source of life, you are pruning me, what does that mean about me? If this is Jesus' identity, what is my identity? Well, first of all, Jesus is saying that we are dependent. That's a radical thing to say in our society. Our culture was based on a document written 244 years ago called the Declaration of Independence. That's our founding ideal. America was founded on the idea of independence, and it's one of the most integral components of American culture and government and society. On July 4th, we celebrate Independence Day. Two of the most influential pop songs of the last 20 years are independence themed. That's their theme. What happened to Miss Independent? Kelly Clarkson, song about independence, obviously. What's the other song? All the women who independent, throw your hands up at me. Destiny's Child, great songs, both about independence. We love these songs, at least I do. We love these songs and we love independence. It's viewed as freedom, self-sufficiency, and resourcefulness. Independence is our society's ultimate form of strength. To depend on someone or something else is typically viewed as weakness in our culture. Independence is one of the highest American values. So that the idea that we would be completely dependent on Jesus is a hard one for us to wrap our minds around. But we have to. We have to wrap our minds around it. If Jesus is our only source of nourishment and life, we have to accept that we are dependent on Christ, despite how foreign that notion may feel to us. I think that part about how foreign it feels to us is part of why it's so hard for us to depend on Christ. That's something that we have to overcome. Another reason that we find it hard to depend on Christ is that we don't physically see him. He's not physically present. That makes it hard for us to depend on Jesus, and that's something we need to overcome. Furthermore, we see so many people that seem to be thriving 
without Jesus. It can certainly seem that way, right? People seem to thrive and achieve success and wealth and power without professing faith in Christ, creating the perception that we don't need Jesus. That's another thing we have to overcome. How? How do we overcome those things? Well, I would start with suggesting that realizing what, uh, with realizing what specifically makes it hard for you to depend on Jesus. What other things are you depending on in place of Jesus? If you have a quick idea of what you or others are depending on instead of Jesus, please leave it in the Facebook comments so we can start to see more of how difficult this is and what other things we are often depending on. So we have to recognize that Jesus is looking at the long run when he says these things. Jesus is talking about eternal life, eternal fruit, in addition to the here and now. If we want to thrive both now and eternally, we have to be connected to the eternal source of life and nourishment. That's the only thing that will bring us peace, joy, and fruitfulness in the long run. We also have to recognize that what we are connected to helps to shape our identity. If you're connected to the Republican or Democratic parties, you'll identify more strongly as Republican or Democrat. If you're connected to Taylor Swift's music, you'll identify more strongly as a Taylor Swift fan. If you connect with the Minnesota Vikings, you'll uh, identify with feelings of great excitement followed by crushing defeat. <laughs> Thus, to identify with Christ, we have to connect and depend upon the fine and upon Jesus. So we must also recognize that this dependence is not weakness, in part because complete independence is a lie. Even the strongest people depend on something, protein shakes, healthy diets, cinnamon, ro cinnamon rolls, how did that, weird, that should not have been in there. But <laughs> we can choose what we depend on. And if we choose to depend on an all-powerful God, that is the greatest strength possible. If we are connected to and being nourished by an all-powerful God, that's the greatest place of strength that I can imagine. Our dependence on God can be our greatest strength. So second, Jesus is saying that we are vulnerable. So we are dependent and we are vulnerable. This sounds like a super fun sermon, right? But if the branches can be disconnected altogether and thrown in the fire, or we're branches that can be pruned, we are vulnerable. And that can be scary. Just as we recognize our dependence on Jesus, we have to recognize that we are vulnerable. That was a theme last week, too, when Pastor Steph talked about how we as the good sheep can be, are still vulnerable even when we have a good shepherd. So we often see vulnerability as being a really bad thing, in part because of our cultural drive for independence. But vulnerability does not necessarily mean that we are weak. Vulnerability can mean that we are wise enough to recognize that there are parts of our lives that may not be necessary or productive. Vulnerability can mean that we recognize that we are ultimately not in control. Vulnerability can mean that we have the humility to submit to God's leading in our lives. Vulnerability can be a form of courage because you are letting your, down your guard and surrendering a part of yourself to the unknown. Vulnerability is not a bad thing. It's a necessary thing. So I would say that there are two types of vulnerability, willing and unwilling vulnerability. With uh, willing vulnerability, 
you have the wisdom and humility to accept that there are things that may need to change in your life and that you may need help to make these changes. Unwilling vulnerability is simply being alive in 2020. Unwilling vulnerability is not being in control and being subject to things far beyond your power. Neither one is terribly easy, but I can tell you this. The more willingly vulnerable you are, the less unwilling vulnerable you will be. Let me put that in a different way. The more that you accept that you are not perfect and you are not in control, the less your imperfection and your lack of control will cause problems. So vulnerability takes a lot of forms, and this pandemic is showing us that. The pandemic is showing us so much of our vulnerability, physically, financially, socially, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. We're vulnerable on so many levels. I'm vulnerable. I'm unwillingly vulnerable financially because the store that I work at is temporary, temporarily closed, and so I'm not getting a paycheck. I'm willingly accepting the vulnerability of socially distancing myself from my peers, and I willingly accept the mental and emotional vulnerability that goes with that. We are all so vulnerable, and we're being confronted with that. And if you like, I would really enjoy if you could share a comment to maybe describe some of the vulnerability that you're experiencing right now. Our vulnerability is God's opportunity to prune us, to divert nourishment and life into our most fruitful branches. God has that bigger picture in mind, and to get us to that, he needs to prune some things from us. That pruning is painful, but the more open we are to it, the better that we can understand and cope with it. This vulnerability is ultimately for our good, to help us better serve a broken world. In a broken world, we often face circumstances that God does not want for us. Poverty, job loss, death, pandemic. Last week, we talked about how the enemy comes to steal and destroy. That's what this pandemic is doing. It is stealing and destroying, and that is not what God wants for us. But in this moment, when this pandemic has made us vulnerable, God is strong enough and good enough to help us lovingly prune our lives. As things are stolen from us or destroyed, we can depend on Jesus for nourishment. As things are stolen or destroyed, we can see that we are vulnerable and that God may be inviting us to join him in pruning our lives. Take that into your prayer this week. Is there an invitation in all this to prune with God? So, we are dependent, we are vulnerable. At this point, you probably don't want a third point, but we're going there. So we're dependent, we're vulnerable, and we are free. Yes, we are free. We are free to bear the fruit that God has in mind for us. Well, what's freeing about that? Sometimes, as Christians, we feel the need to do it all, right? We know that we have a God that can do all things and that God can empower us to do all things and make all things possible. And that's a great thing. But it doesn't mean that we should put the weight of the world on our shoulders. God prunes us because there is specific fruit that he has in mind for us. We don't have to do it all. We don't have to pr pr uh, produce all the fruit ourselves. 
sometimes we end up looking at other Christians and we are amazed by the fruit that they are producing. And yes, it is a great thing to recognize the good that God is doing in the world through other people. But we can get trapped in thinking that we should be bearing the same kind of fruit in the same way. But that's not true. God doesn't ask us to do it all. God asks us to follow his lead as he does the work in the world. We also just don't have to bear it all. The branches do not bear the weight. The vine bears the weight. We are dependent on the vine and we are vulnerable, but the vine bears the weight and that is freedom. So we are dependent, we are vulnerable, we're free. What do we do with that? What does it mean to be dependent, vulnerable, and free? Well, I don't have a great answer to that, but I can share what it means to me. Now, this requires a little bit of really blunt honesty, but several weeks ago when we were planning out this sermon series, Pastor Steph asked if I'd be willing to preach on this text, and because I'm the hopeful little intern, I said, yes, absolutely. But in all honesty, this isn't always a passage that has really resonated super deeply in my life. I would have picked a different passage. But as I've been working on this sermon over the past several weeks, and as things over the past couple of weeks have unfolded, I realized that God was really wanting to teach me a lesson. I needed to recognize my dependence on Jesus. I needed to recognize my vulnerability. And I needed to recognize my freedom. On the, as these things have been sinking in over the last few days, it's been culminating kind of just in just one simple question that I'm going to ask you and I hope you really spend a lot of time with. What are you connected to? What are you connected to? This question has probably been on our minds quite a bit lately, whether it's unconsciously or consciously. We've been forcibly disconnected from so many things lately. This means that we have the opportunity to investigate what we're really connected to. In a period of social distancing and quarantine, we can find out if we're really connected to the vine or if we're just connected to other branches or maybe nothing at all. If we just feel connected to other branches, other people, we'll ultimately wither and die because they cannot sustain us. If your church is only your community and nothing else, then you will also wither and die. If you're truly connected to the vine, however, connected first and foremost to Jesus, then you will be connected to other branches in a vital and life-giving way. The church, all Christian believers, the body of Christ all around the world, they will be your community and they will be your family. And if you feel right now that you are withering in some way, if you feel dry and parched and undernourished, I beg you to ask what you're connected to. Now, this isn't just the difference between extroverts and introverts. I'm not just saying that extroverts are having an extra difficult time right now. If you're feeling any level of withering, maybe it's because you've been connected into something that's not your real source of life. Maybe your job, even though it is important, has become too much of your identity. Maybe your trivia nights with your friends are too much of your identity. Maybe your social activities with your friends are too much of your identity. And to be clear, these things are not bad things at all. These can be great ways of experiencing your community 
and experiencing the joy that God has placed in your life. But if you are not first and foremost connected to Christ, the vine, then you, as a branch, will feel withered. So what are you connected to? When I was going back through that difficult season back in 11 BP or 2009, I wasn't connected to Jesus in the way that I ought to have been. I was more connected to the activity. I was putting my identity into that. And there was good fruit that came out of it. I learned and I gained a lot. But it got to a point where it wasn't producing the fruit that God wanted for me. And so God pruned that out of my life. That was devastating. It was painful. I was angry. But in the months that followed, I gradually became more connected to Jesus, to the true vine, and I felt life and vitality coming back to me, who had used to be a withered branch. And now, in a season of life where I've been disconnected forcibly from my income, physically distanced from friends, unable to go to Starbucks, I'm surprisingly far less anxious than I thought I would be. Jesus is pouring life and nourishment into me, and honestly, I feel alive right now. Maybe it sounds like it's easy for me to say that because you're facing maybe some really huge challenges. Maybe you've completely lost your job. Maybe you're wondering how you're going to put food on the table for your family. Maybe you have a loved one in the hospital. There is a huge spectrum of hardship going on right now. But wherever you're at on that spectrum, connecting to Jesus will give you the life and nourishment to get you through that experience. My connection to Jesus is helping me, and I know that he can do the same for you. So to close, I'm going to reread portions of our text from today. And as I do, I want you to keep in mind these things. Jesus is our source of life and nourishment, and Jesus is a God that prunes us. Then I want us to remember our identity. We are dependent, we are vulnerable, but we're free. With that in mind, listen to these verses one more time and really think on them. Pay attention to a word or a phrase that the Holy Spirit is wanting to lay on your heart today. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Let's pray. Dear Lord, once again, we just thank you so much for the ways that you connect us. First and foremost, you connect us to the vine. You are our nourishment. You are a God that prunes us for our good. And we are dependent on you. We are vulnerable to a broken world. But we are free, Lord, and we thank you for that. So, Lord, today as we connect to you um, through this service, through prayer, and through these amazing tools that you have gifted us, I just pray that we can all find our connections to you strengthened, that we can learn to depend on you in radical ways that we maybe haven't before. And, Lord, I pray for all of us that are struggling with whatever challenge this pandemic is presenting us, whether it's exacerbating uh, challenges that already existed or presenting brand new challenges, Lord, I pray that we can just lean on you to get us through this time. And Lord, we know that you're in control. And I think it's easier to see that how little control we have now, that it's easier to see that you are in control. 
we thank you for that and we're grateful for that. So Lord, today I pray that as we go about our week, that we can just abide in you, remain in you, and be reminded of our connection to you. We pray these things in your holy name.